0: I want to begin this morning by introducing you to a man named Michael Carroll. Michael Carroll is from England, and at the age of 19, he won a $14 million lottery. That man was blessed. However, he didn't use that blessing very wisely. He found himself wasting it away on drugs and immoral living, and 20 years later, he had to file for bankruptcy. Today, Michael Carroll is a butcher, living off of minimum wage and government assistance. Michael Carroll was a man who was blessed tremendously that he just wasted all of that blessing away. Maybe you can think of people in a similar situation, people that that have been blessed, and you look at them and you say, man, if only I could have been blessed like that I wouldn't have wasted it away like they did. That leaves us with a great question to start with this morning. When you find yourself blessed tremendously, how are you to respond to that? In the midst of blessing, what is the appropriate response? Last week, we started going through the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus starts this sermon with the Beatitudes, or blessings from God. He says things like, blessed are the poor, and the meek, and the hungry, and the persecuted. And the thing is, that that's exactly who Jesus was talking to. He was talking to the poor. He was talking to the hungry. He was talking to the persecuted. And he tells them that they are blessed. These were people who struggled day in and day out just to find a drop of clean water to drink. We said last week that these Beatitudes became a winning formula for the losers of society. Now after giving these blessings, Jesus then talks about how they are to respond. Here is the appropriate response to these blessings, Jesus says. Join me in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. That their response to these blessings is to be salt and light. These two things are used to illustrate one particular point. If I had one word to describe this passage, it would be this. Influence. Influence. The followers of Jesus are to have an influence on the world around them. The followers of Jesus have been blessed tremendously. And they are to use that blessing to have an influence on the world around them. They are to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Let's start this morning by first talking about salt. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste... How shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. There's a lot packed into this illustration right here, and we're going to unpack those things. Salt was used for many things, and it is used for many things today. For us, when we think of salt, we think of flavoring our food. We pour salt on our food because it needs a little bit of flavor. And so that salt goes onto the food and it absorbs the environment around it and it changes the environment. Think of soup. When you pour salt on soup, that salt goes into the soup, it it dissolves, and the character of the soup has changed. Likewise, the followers of Jesus, Christians, are to give this world taste like salt does, we are to impact the environment around us. That taste, that flavor that we give this world is righteousness. Salt also creates a thirst. There's an old saying, you can lead a horse to the water trough, but you can't make him drink, but you can give him a salt block. Salt creates a thirst. I think of Texas Roadhouse. They have those things, those complimentary peanuts. You know, you walk in and there's just peanut shells all over the place. Those peanuts are given to uh, the consumers so that they would eat the peanuts and then get more drinks, buying more drinks, making more money. There's a scheme going on there. Salt makes you want to have a drink of water. And just like salt, The followers of Jesus are to make this world thirst for God. We make this world thirst for the living waters that God provides for us. Salt also can sting a wound. There's that old saying, you can pour salt on a wound. When salt is poured on a wound, it stings and it hurts at first, but it ends up healing. If you go to the doctor with a sore throat, that doctor will tell you to start gargling salt water. That salt water, it may hurt your throat at first, but it's healing your sore throat. Like salt, the followers of Jesus bring truth into the world, and truth may hurt at first. It may sting for a while, but in the end, it has a, a, a healing effect. Salt was also a symbol for purity in Jesus' time. It played a prominent role in the Jewish offerings. Almost every offering included salt. It had a purifying effect, so it was symbolically thrown to sacrifice onto a sacrifice to purify the sacrifice and make it acceptable to God. There was also this tradition of rubbing salt on newborn babies. Because salt purified and it was an antiseptic, they would rub it onto the babies and cleanse and protect them from any evil. And this last, I guess, use of salt that I have here is mainly the use that Jesus is speaking of here. Salt was used as a preservative. In the time of Jesus, they didn't have refrigerators like we did. They couldn't just throw their meat in the refrigerator and leave it there for a week or so. They had to figure out another way to preserve the meat. Salt was used to preserve the meat. It was used and it was packed onto the meat and it kept the meat preserved. Likewise, Christians, the followers of Jesus, preserve this world. We are to preserve this world from the wrath of God. There's a story that goes right along with this similar effect. In Genesis 18, there is a conversation between God and Abraham. God is about to throw down his wrath on the city of Sodom. But Abraham is scared. His nephew Lot lives there. And if Lot is consumed, he could lose his nephew. And so he asks God, God, are you going to sweep away the righteous with the unrighteous as well? And God says, you know what? No. No. If I find 50 righteous people in this city, I won't destroy it. 50 righteous people. Abraham goes into the city and he searches, looks for 50, and he comes back and he says, God, I, I couldn't find 50. Can we maybe lower it down? Can we go down to maybe 45? God says, all right, 45. Abraham comes back. Can we go down to 40? Comes back again. Can we go down to 30? 20, about 10. God says, okay. But I find 10 righteous people in this city. I will not destroy it. You see, those righteous people were preservative. They were preserving the city of Sodom. And if there were 10 righteous people, it would would have preserved the city of Sodom from the wrath of God. But Abraham comes back. He says, I couldn't find anybody. So the city is swept away. But there is Abraham's nephew, Lot. Lot is there. Lot is the nephew of a righteous person. And you would think that maybe Lot had reached out to a few. Lot had a family. There's Lot, his wife, his daughter, and another daughter. And they were both married. That's six people right there. If only Lot would have reached out to four more people, maybe the city of Sodom would have been saved. But instead, he didn't. And it was swept away. All it took was ten righteous people. All it took was Lot just reaching out to the people around him. All it took was the salt Coming out of the salt shaker. But instead with Lot. The salt stayed in the salt shaker. You know we can look at the world around us. And we can look at the state of our culture. And we can just be depressed. We can see it spoiling and slowly decaying. But it is my belief. That our world is not decaying. Because of unrighteousness. And ungodliness. Our world is decaying. Because righteousness is nowhere to be found. Our world is decaying. Maybe the salt is saying in the salt shaker. And it's not coming out of the salt shaker to have its effect. Jesus says that if salt has lost its saltiness, it is good for nothing except be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. In that day, salt was mixed with other elements. It was seen as impure and altered. People didn't use impure salt with their food or anything. And so they trampled it out. And the one place that they trampled it out on was on the roads. On the paths. Where people would walk and trample on it. For salt to accomplish all that it is set out to do, it must get out of the salt shaker. Alright, that's salt. Let's move on to light. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. The New Testament talks about light a lot. It says that God is light in First John chapter 1. Jesus will also claim that he himself is the light of the world. I think that's John chapter 8 light in the old testament also represented the glory of god think of the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire those were lights that guided the, the path for israel they represented the glory of god light has one job and that is to shine light must shine that is what it is designed to do. Jesus illustrates this with two things. First, a city on a hill. When that city is shining bright, you can see it illuminate the entire skyline. And there is no way that you can hide that city on a hill. This past summer when I was in Israel, we spent a couple nights on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. I went out late one night, and I decided I wanted to see the stars over the sea of of Galilee. That'd be beautiful, right? A beautiful picture just to take. And I go out, and it's probably eleven thirty, maybe even midnight. I waited till it was late, and there was definitely going to be stars out. But I walk on the dock, and I see the sky is actually lit up. The sky is actually bright. It's weird. Well, just down south of the seas, south of where we were staying, there were lights all over the place. There was this city called Tiberius, And Tiberias started, the city started at the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And it went all the way up to this mountain. And so this side of this mountain was lit up by this city. It was a city on a hill. And it lit up the whole sky at night. It lit up the whole sea. Of Galilee. You know, I thought that was cool. Now here's Jesus speaking these words in that exact location, on the sea, shore of the Sea of Galilee, speaking these exact words, and today there is a city on a hill that lights up the sea at night. That city cannot be hidden. Just like we are to shine so bright that nothing could hide the light. Jesus also talks about a lamp in a basket. He says nobody lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. No, they light the lamp and they set it in, in an exact location to where it gives light to all the house. I found this quote by Martin Lloyd-Jones and I find it very fitting for this illustration that Jesus says. He says if we find ourselves in a tendency to put out the light under put the light under a bushel we must begin to examine ourselves and make sure that it really is the light. Let me read that again. If we find ourselves in a tendency to put the light under a bushel then we must begin to examine ourselves and make sure that it really is the light. That light in that lamp is supposed to light up the whole house. It is strategically set in a place to give light. But if we put it under a basket, if we're willing to hide it, then really there's no light at all. If we're really willing to hide our lights, then we have to ask ourselves, is there really a light? Like the city on a hill and the lamp in a house, we are to let this light, let our lights shine. Salt has an influence by what it is. It is salt, and so it does these certain things. But light has an influence by action, by the things that it does. Jesus says our good works are what let our light shine. Our good works are what look like that city on the hill or that lamp in the house, lighting the whole house. Our good works, which means we must do something to let our light shine. We must take action. Jesus wants to use us to have an influence on this world. Jesus wants us to have an impact on the world that is around us. Jesus says that we are blessed by God, but we are to use that blessing to be an influence. But in order to do that, we must do two things. We must get out of the salt shaker, and we must let our light shine. If everybody around us hates us, then guys, there's a problem. But at the same time, if everybody around us loves us, then there's a problem too. By being salt and light to this world, we stand out to this world. We look different. Some may hate us and some may love us, but standing out looks a lot like standing with Jesus no matter what. So my question to you this morning is, are you all in? Are you all in and ready to be used the way that Jesus wants to use you? Are you all in and ready to have an impact on an influence on a lost, hurting, and dying world? Jesus wants to use us for His kingdom and for His glory. But in order to do that, The salt must come out of the salt shaker, and the light must not be hidden. Salt can't be used unless it comes out of that shaker. And the light that's hidden is not really a light at all. Jesus wants you to know this morning that you are the salt of the earth, and you are the light of this world.